Hi everyone. Today we talk about panic attacks. Please be mindful if you continue to listen and reach out for support if you need it. Today we travel to Italy to meet Dr. Viviana Ray, an assistant professor in the Department of Earth Sciences at the University of Pisa. Viviana holds a PhD in Analysis and Governance of Sustainable Development. Her research interests include hydrogeochemistry of groundwater contamination, isotope techniques for monitoring groundwater salinization, and geochemical processes occurring in contaminated aquifers. During our discussion, Viviana opens up about experiencing panic attacks during her postdoc and how they restricted her personal and work behavior. When you feel it physically is such a strong sensation, it's like a lot of things that happen in just one second, probably there's a trigger. And then I felt like I could not breathe properly. I felt like pain in the chest and then thoughts running super fast, super, super fast. So <laughs> the first thing I did was to call a friend and say, can we please go to the emergency? Then uh, we, we went to the, the this private clinic and then the lady, when I arrived, said, no, you're okay, it's just uh, stress, it's just anxiety. But then they made all the controls and actually, luckily, let's say I didn't, I wasn't having a, a heart attack. <laughs> and um, and then I started reading a bit about the, the feelings and the what I can tell is that I, it's completely different from the, all the kind of anxiety episodes that I had before. Welcome to Voices of Academia with Emily King. It's a podcast where researchers from around the world open up about their mental health. They might laugh, cry, or say things you disagree with. But this is lived experience, not professional advice. We cover some sensitive material, but it's worth it to normalize difficult conversations, reduce stigma, and help people feel less alone. Let's get into it. Welcome, Viviana, to the podcast. Thank you. So I guess we met because you came forward to share your story actually after our very first post on the voices of academia twitter back in october of 2020 when we mentioned that we were going to start a podcast so i do want to thank you for your patience (laughs) and i wanted to ask you i guess why you would like to share your story with us today well again thank you for hosting me and um thank you for this first question i think um I felt the need somehow to share a story because I I see in academia there are so many stories that are untold but touches the experience and the life of people. And also was uh, also seeing, for example, in Twitter, uh, when talking about mental health in academia, there were many, many stories about PhD students or better from PhD students, master students and less stories from seniors, let's say, like postdocs or professor or assistant professors in my case. And I think that we, well, I hope maybe that like sharing my, my experience, my story could encourage others to do so and show that you can feel weak and still build good science. You can have issues and do great job. So being open to the fragility you may experience, to the dark side that you may experience in your life doesn't make you a bad scientist and actually, or a bad person in academia and actually can help students to feel more listened and, and welcome. So I, that's why I wanted to, I propose to share my story because I hope this would encourage others to do so. Yeah, and I really appreciate that because that was something I was sort of aware of at the start of releasing episodes as well, that uh, I was focusing a lot on PhD student stories because that's kind of what was coming forward. And I think it's so important to share a diversity of stories. So I do really try to actively seek that out, whether that's the type of experience or the the level of academia that someone has reached. So yeah, I thank you for that because we've actually, we've now had quite a few like assistant professors coming forward 
forward. And it's really great to see more senior people opening up because I think that provides really fantastic role models for younger academics sort of coming through. So I guess the other thing was, I know we're going to touch a little bit on female stereotypes during today's discussion. So it's kind of a similar question, but more specifically how you feel your identity as a woman has perhaps encouraged you to share your story too. Yes. Yeah, it has. Also part of what I'm going to talk about today, it's related to that. I think at some point I realized like very recently, the last two years or so, I started reading more about like ecofeminism, transfeminism, etc. So, and also being part of a working group related to gender issues in water science opened a new vision to me. I don't know, probably encouraged me to embrace more my female side that I probably put aside in pursuing like scientific career in uh, in academia. I think I gave more space to the, my male, let's say, part. And part of all this process and dealing with some, let's say, mental issues gave more space to the more, yeah, let's say female energy that (laughs) we all have and I I have, of course. And so all the feelings, the things that I wanted to hide because being too sensitive or too empathetic or too this or too that, actually the moment I realized that it's, that are part of me that can, and I like them. So I, I really, I don't know if it makes sense, but I kind of accepted myself for that. And then I felt like uh, sharing it. Yeah, no, it makes sense to me. I have done a very similar thing through my career. So it's going to be interesting to hear it from someone else's perspective. <laughs> so if listeners sort of find something that you're discussing today that really resonates with them, where can they find you on social media? They can find me on Twitter that I use a lot of work and I'm starting also recently to share some thoughts on mental health in academia. And the name is Biralnas that comes from the Twitter account that I made when I was doing my postdoc in a Mercury Fellowship. I stayed two years in Tunisia and actually Biralnas means the well of people because I started working on the inclusion of the social dimension into hydrogeochemical hydrogeological assessments and the well the funny thing is also that it's actually in that period that I started having panic attacks which now I see was a part of a sort of let's say coincidence or <laughs> I don't know how to call them that uh, actually made me realize the importance of embracing those feelings embracing those dark moments etc so actually yeah, it all started with this postdoc, so that's also part of the name. And then there is a blog actually talking about uh, the experience and part of the work that is called, again, Veranas. So you can find me on Twitter mainly. <laughs> okay. And and that's spelled B-I-R-A-L-N-A-S. And we'll put a link to that in the episode description as well. So, yeah, I mean, again, I just want to thank you for for coming forward to share your story today, particularly at this time. We were speaking before recording about some of the impacts that the pandemic has had on both of us. So I guess I just wanted to ask you, I mean, how are you given the pandemic and everything that's kind of going on right now? Well, I think I'm okay. I'm I'm in a period, I think, where I'm having a strong sensation of personal growth. So I have up and downs and uh, the last year and a half has been really tough for many personal and family reasons but now I see that uh, things are getting better and also I think all this situation really was a, a good reminder to take care of ourselves and uh, not push too much for like work or perfectionism at at work. Just try to, of course, respect your duties, the deadlines, but also the time we spend taking care of ourselves, whatever it could be. It could be yoga, could be sport, could be reading, could be whatever. It's really important. It's really precious. And uh, this year at EGU, they started uh, the European Geoscience Union Conference. They have a series of also like mm, mental health, 
session that were amazing. And one of the leader of this session mentioned something that really resonates with me. Like we as scientists, our brain is our tool. And sometimes we forget to take care about that. And this is the our most important working tool. So we should really think more about, about that. So that's where I'm at the moment. <laughs> Yeah, it's such a good point. And look, I know it's a super loaded question, um, but I kind of like to start with that because I, I just feel like I can't record these episodes in the middle of an ongoing pandemic without sort of addressing the impacts that it's had on all of us. Um, and particularly you in Italy, I know there was a lot in the media at the very start of the pandemic last year. And it's a country that, as I've mentioned to you, you know, is quite close to my heart because I lived there um, for a year. So I, you know, I really feel for you, all of you over there. But I am now seeing some of the kids that I nannied who are now 18, but they're like traveling around Europe and like drinking and stuff, which is kind of weird. But looks like things are, are sort of opening up for you. I don't know if you feel like that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm sure it's controversial, but, you know, hopefully um, things return to a relative normal sometime soon. Yeah, hopefully. Well, I think opening up is a good thing because there are many people that probably suffer too much isolation. And then I think in any countries, uh, like domestic violence increased a lot. So Mm -hmm. there are many, many aspects for which we really need to go out more and have a proper interaction. Although I hope that what stays in is this, um, you know, the beginning of the pandemic, there was this huge sense of community being part of a community. (laughs) So we had to deal with something super scary altogether. So that unfortunately didn't stay much longer, but I hope that this feeling of being part of uh, a global community is something that we can reflect more on also for in terms of actually being kind to each other, but also towards the planet and all the bad things that are happening in this late years so that's very naive I know but I was about to say we can dream (laughs) it's a hope (laughs) yeah exactly um so aside from that I mean we really don't know each other that well so I like to start the episode with a couple of questions about you as a person sort of outside of academia so I Mm -hmm. wanted to know what's your favorite way to spend a day off oh I love reading and possibly at the beach that's my (laughs) That doesn't happen quite often because, of course, I live not so close to the to the sea, and then the climate is not very summery all the time. But uh, yeah, definitely reading and yeah, staying in the nature, but uh, close to water. That it, that's the, the best to me. I agree. I'm an absolute beach bum. Is there anything you're particularly reading at the moment? Well, I just finished the um, the Lord of uh, Small Things. That's uh, not a very recent book, but uh, I had there and I didn't finish yet. So I restarted again and uh, I really recommend it because it gives a lot of perspectives and a lot of emotions also. I'm ready for the next one, which I still have to decide <laughs> what will be. <laughs> okay. What is The Lord of Small Things about? It's a story about family in India dealing with cultural aspect, a lot of introspection and... Uh, it's a sort of love story, but a family story as well. And uh, if you haven't, I really recommend that. <laughs> I um, actually, so I'm in a book club and I just recommended that our book club this month read a book that a previous podcast guest recommended. So yours might make it onto a list in the future as well. <laughs> I just secretly use this podcast for my own personal gain. <laughs> That's great. So what about what were you like as a kid? Well, I think probably reading. (laughs) Reading and playing didn't change much, probably. Yes, I I used to, yeah, read also and playing in the playground. That's the, as a very young kid. And then uh, growing up, probably playing volleyball and uh me too oh you see and also we have so many things in common including our I know, it's so <laughs> crazy <laughs> uh, 
Oh, that's awesome. I, yeah, I was the volleyball captain and then like continued, but I've given it up now, unfortunately. Bit of a shoulder issue, but no, great sport. <laughs> yeah. um, was there anything sort of, I guess, from when you were younger that you can see has been a factor in leading you into research or was there something else that sort of drew you in? Well, I think I always had this love for, for nature and this feeling that I wanted to do something to protect the planet. And I was really a huge fan of Greenpeace when I was younger, but probably I'm not that brave to, you know, do the cruises and those do all the very super brave and strong thing they <laughs> they do. And I think the closest thing to that was starting studying environmental sciences and do something to contribute from the scientific point of view. So I think that was the what brought me to to science and specifically to water. I think I did a volunteering three but one month volunteering in Ethiopia mm. in wow. a long time ago, in two thousand and four. That uh, as many times happens, I think it ended up helping more myself personally than the people that actually was there to was supposed to to help because I I saw probably the first time the effect of lack of water, the lack of access to sanitation and uh, safe facility for for drinking drinking water, especially so. I think that was the moment I decided I want to, to work in, in the water sector. Mm. So that's a long story of love. With no, no, <laughs> no, I, I like hearing that because it's, it's, because I've obviously read your biography. So I'm aware that you sort of work within water sanitation and other areas, but it's so interesting seeing the motivation behind things and, and, you know, how much of sort of a personal connection you have to something that I hope this doesn't offend you. I would normally find kind of dry, but now I'm, (laughs) but now I'm kind of drawn into it because I can see the, the impacts that it can have and kind of the personal meaning that it can bring as well. So I know I love that. And it does kind of bring us into the next part of your story into sort of your PhD and then on towards your postdoc, which is really when you've indicated you were experiencing quite significant panic attacks. And I know you've sort of said prior to recording that this led to a lot of personal growth, but I guess, first of all, I wanted to ask some questions around the fact that it took you a little while to recognize what was happening because that's an experience that I had as well and I think there would be a lot of people that have sort of never heard of an anxiety attack before never heard of a panic attack before and if it happened to them they would have no idea what was going on so I kind of wanted to ask what you remember about your very first panic attack if you can yeah well I'm not sure actually now thinking back I'm not sure this is probably the first I had, but I think it was the first I was able to to give a name. It was tough. I think it's a very terrible sensation. And I heard I had friends that had mentioned like having a panic attack. But I think when you when you feel it, like physically is such a strong sensation. It's like a lot of things that happen in just one second. Probably there's a trigger and then I felt like I could not breathe properly. I felt like pain in the chest. And then like thoughts running super fast, super, super fast. So <laughs> the first thing I did was to call a friend and say, can we please go to the emergency? Then uh, we, we went to the, 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 the this private clinic. And then the lady, when I arrived, said, no, you're okay. It's just uh, stress. It's just anxiety. But then they made all the controls and actually, luckily, let's say I didn't, I wasn't having a, a heart attack. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, and then I start reading a bit about the, the feelings and the, what I can tell is that I, it's completely different from the, all the kind of anxiety episodes that I had before, like, uh, 
I remember like before talk, especially at the beginning of my career doing the PhD, I remember having this feeling like a super heartbeat and then you feel like weak and say, oh, I'm going to faint. Mm-hmm. Before going on stage, you take a deep breath and then you go on stage, you give your presentation and it turns out great and everybody thinks you're super confident, etc. So that's the kind of anxiety that I had before and I still have that is the the one that helps you to stay focused and to stay yeah centered on what you're doing so i know that may be different for for many people but for me is this i recognize in a way whereas the the panic attacks is something that frees you that really makes you incapable of doing what you're doing thinking in, in the same way you were thinking and it can be a very short moment but it really the, the feeling like freezing that you have in that moment and afterwards is pretty it's pretty tough mm. yeah because I was going to ask you how you would describe the comparison between a panic attack and an anxiety attack which you've really kind of answered there but it's interesting that you mentioned the heart attack because that's kind of I, I really don't know if I don't think I've had a panic attack before I think there've probably been anxiety attacks but I've heard a lot of people describe a panic attack as feeling very similar to a heart attack Mm -hmm. so is that how you would kind of describe the average panic attack do you think well yeah probably yes Mm. then especially the first is because it was really a pain here and then it's a pain in your chest yeah that is like sometimes you also have like at least what I had, I'm not a doctor, but I can tell my experience, mm, of, of course. course, is like of course. Uh, like accelerated heartbeat and uh, breathing issues. And then the, the funny thing is that many times the, one of the suggestions that you get is to, to breathe and then you will calm down, which it works. But uh, I think my scientific mindset was really set on, yes, I breathe, but then I, I don't solve the problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it was really like... <laughs> like a positive feedback and getting even more stressed because of that but then actually it helps a lot when you feel that you can control your breath and somehow you can go back to the like take control but uh, then I start talking to people but after many years and many many friends of mine well, it's not that all my friends have panic attacks but to say to all the people that I told uh, most say that this feeling of like uh, I'm going to have an art attack <laughs> probably and it's strange because of course you I never had an art attack before <laughs> so I don't know how to recognize it but uh, from the description of the feel the symptoms or the feelings that you may have then it's the I think the, the closest thing you think you are having Mm. yeah it would be interesting to know what percentage of people have actually experienced a panic attack because it you know at least anxiety attacks definitely seem like something that is very 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 common because with when it my kids when i'm anxious i i'm hyperactive let's say so i have this i need to walk i need to so it's more proactive thing Mm. rather than the other with the the panic attack is more freezing it's like Mm. stopping everything but the, the, the thoughts are running super fast and then you it's like for a few moments I felt I lost the control of my body and my mind that's uh going it's back to, to what I was saying is like being a scientist you know you feel you have the control of everything and then if a happens then b happens etc etc and in that moment you freak out and you don't know what to do basically yeah so when you were first experiencing that at work like how did that sort of make you feel and and how did you initially handle it well i felt super strange but i think the first thing was to i was scared so i think that what the the first thing was like put myself in survival mode so so I, I, I went to a colleague, I said, I don't think I'm feeling well, I have pain here. And then she said, oh, maybe you should go and see a doctor. And then I called another friend and then he came and picked me and then we went to, to do all the testing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think the first thing was to be in, in, in survival mode <laughs> and find uh, a way to, to, to know what was going on. 
And so I guess, like, was this happening kind of regularly during your postdoc or like how did you sort of manage that when it was happening in a a workspace? Well, I was at the time having like my own office and I was living very close to to the, the university I was working. So in that case, when it happened, I was most of the time was alone. So I could handle that on on my own or calling yeah, most of the time, my partner. <laughs> and then I opened up a bit with uh, a family that was uh, living there that became a friend of mine. And through them, I think I told straight that I had issues, etc. I felt safe to to speak with, with them. So I asked for, for help. Like, I'm not feeling okay. I need them probably not feeling good, etc. But then, yeah, there was a, the big component was like, what if it happened when it's some, there's someone there? What if I'm at work or I'm talking to students or giving a presentation and that happens? So I think that was the worst part of everything. That at the beginning, I was more concerned on what the others would think of me if it happened somewhere rather than taking care of myself, you know, Mm -hmm. so kind of feeling judged, feeling uh, or being perceived as weak or not capable to handle emotions, you know. So that was the the very, very beginning, let's say. Mm -hmm. And so did it sort of start to have any impacts on your work? More or less, let's say that I think not in the production per se, I think I focused on work and so it helped to because at least it was something that I could have the control on. Like so the the result, not really, but the way I was working, yes. So it really the, this idea of fearing that it could happen in, in any moment, because you know the, the panic attacks are they have triggers probably, but it's difficult to I was reading, and probably maybe someone can correct me <laughs> if I'm wrong, but I was reading that with the anxiety, you can kind of identify the cause of the anxiety attack, probably what makes you anxious, whereas with the panic attacks is not that straightforward, the, the link. No? So with this idea of knowing the bad sensation that you can feel when you have it, knowing that it can happen and you kind of, do not know when can happen, really uh, reduced a lot of my space, especially in terms of mobility. So I started kind of fearing doing long trips on the train or planes. I, I didn't stop doing things, but uh, it really affected the way I was doing that. So in some cases, I, I had periods in which I really, there were basic things that I f- couldn't not do alone, like... Uh, going to the supermarket mm. that's strange i mean it's something super normal no let's say something that we all do know but um so i became a bit needy but i tried to it's like i split the things in two so at work i was the trying to be efficient uh, always present etc and then in the private life i was really more in the kind of needy withdrawn etc I can definitely relate to having difficulty going to the supermarket <laughs> and riding my Maybe bike and rock climbing and driving. <laughs> and no, yeah, very understandable. So I guess there's a question here as well around sort of female stereotypes because I know, you know, it it can be, I guess, difficult to know how to handle things in a work situation because we're often as women kind of, expected to act in a certain way so I I'd be interested to know how you feel sort of being a woman impacted the way that you handled that situation and and if it did yes I think well there's probably one thing that is common to everyone is that uh, we perceive weaknesses as something bad and not something that can like an occasion to growth an occasion to be more open to others so I think this is a perception that affects both or all genders let's say uh, but as a woman especially I think in steam I think I always thought I had to 
act, let's say, as a man, so to hide, you know, the girly thing that the the female things, the you know, you have to, to work in the field, you have to probably work in the lab, you have to, so you have to wear comfortable clothes. It's a male-dominated environment, so you have to behave in a certain way. If you, for example, you are too anxious then the joke is that yeah but you know women are like this or if you're too sensitive ah yes or if you're nervous you have the period you know there's a lot of jokes that are done Mm -hmm. so and i'm saying that because nobody told me you are a woman working in science you have to wear these you have to do these you have to do that it's more like a feeling that you have I don't know how to explain, you probably have experienced that too. So yeah. it's really, there is no one that prevents you to, to wear certain clothes or to put on a lot of makeup or to do whatever you want. But the, the feelings that you have drives you to, or the reaction you have to some, some situation probably drives you to change a bit your, uh, the way you behave. And this does not mean that everyone is doing that or you have to, but because I know people that don't care, do whatever they want. It's probably part of if you are more prone <laughs> to be impacted by other people's judgment, you probably kind of change or hide part of your personality to, to stay in the mainstream probably. And um, so that's that's one thing. So I think to me it was really to didn't, give people let's say other occasion to see that i was weak that i was not capable of handling stuff you know so you hide the vulnerabilities to prove that you are a super scientist you know you do you're productive and then there is also this idealization of hyper work not sleeping being like you know working many many hours much more than the let's say the normal working hours because you have to be productive we have to be competitive you have to do 10,000 things and that idealization is probably part of the part of the problem Mm. yeah I can definitely rely I guess I've never really thought about it as like embracing a more masculine side of me but I definitely avoid wearing earrings or lipstick or like you know nice dresses and skirts and stuff at work because I honestly well I actually do feel like I get weird looks when I do do that stuff because it's kind of expected that you'll be kind of pretty bland Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I don't know if that's the same kind of thing but um yeah I can I can I can definitely relate to not wanting to and I, I don't think this is um sort of restricted to academia I think this might be in a lot of industries as a woman but not wanting to come across as being sensitive or you know yeah any of those things that can sort of be perceived as being weakness and so Mm. it can be very difficult to sort of embrace those parts of yourself and realize that they can be assets Mm -mm. yeah so I guess yeah, so so you had these experiences and I know you said you sort of opened up to to a few friends and you went and got some tests and that kind of thing. Was there a day that you sort of decided to stop tolerating the panic attacks as they were and sort of the fact that you felt like you were needing to handle those alone in your office and didn't want it to happen in front of anyone else was there sort of can you remember like a time point where you wanted your approach to the situation to shift well I think it was like a series of steps let's say so because I think many people that I know and even my colleagues the current and the past didn't know that I had this uh issues let's say again because it's uh like fear of being judged and then to probably was not ready to their feedback or you know but then it happened to i went to a conference and i started talking to people that actually i just met but i felt safe to open and we uh start talking and then they say, yeah, we also had panic attack. And then we start chatting. And I think it helped a lot not to feel alone because sometimes if you don't talk to people, 
then you feel that this only thing is only happening to you. Mm. And then you feel that you are wrong, that you are going to have that forever, that you are not going to be able to work as you were doing before, that your life is going to change, that you, you know, it's like, uh, okay, I'm a bit melodramatic myself. (laughs) I think all this feeling was like, uh, oh no, I'm going to end up alone, uh, unproductive. And, uh, you know, (laughs) I saw the very, very catastrophic ending of, of everything. But then I decided to, at some point, I decided that I didn't want to, just learn how to handle this panic attacks but I wanted to find the cause and possibly to stop so that's where I decided I wanted to to ask for help so I think I went straight to to that rather than sharing to uh, to people and colleagues well now I think I'm more open to talk well not because only I'm doing the, we are doing the podcast but also with uh, now I feel okay because probably not okay, but uh, I think there is need to talk about these things to normalize that it can happen, that it's normal to be not okay from time to time or even every day. And uh, especially since now I have a position in which I'm supervising students, I'm supervising PhDs, I think they need to know that there is safe space. And if they have, they are struggling with something they are not alone. There is not just uh, so. Basically, I don't want that other people feel as lonely as I was feeling before. It's like uh, probably there will be someone that will judge you, but not everyone. So I think the more we talk, the more we share that. Uh, even yeah, if you are a student, you are struggling with something. Now with the pandemic, I think it's even harder to cope with some things because our lives changed so so much that. Um, I think we need to, those who are in, let's say, higher position, <laughs> I think we should step up and say, it's okay, we are here, it happened to us, or maybe if never happened to you, you're lucky, it's okay, mm-hmm. but just be open to listen and to see what we think as a weakness, as just something that happened with no judgment. Yeah, I, I think this, what I'm about to say is potentially a bit of an aside, but I was actually speaking to my partner about this yesterday about I think a lot of more senior people, potentially if they've come from an older generation, they feel like it's really inappropriate to share some of those things with you know people that are more junior to them. And it might be discomfort or it might be that they don't want to come across as weak or whatever it is. But I actually really respect someone in a position of power that's willing to be that open and that vulnerable. I obviously I can't speak for everyone else, but I just, I would never see that as weakness. And I actually wouldn't even, I wouldn't say it is inappropriate either because I feel like it's a form of mentoring. Mm. So I agree. I think it's really important if people feel comfortable to open up about some of those experiences. And I guess just on your comment about you know, meeting some people at a conference and, you know, finding that you had this thing in common, that you'd had panic attacks. And, you know, it's, it's, it's almost, it's almost funny. Like it's almost in a way it sort of like brings humor to something that is quite a difficult experience. Like the fact that you can connect with not you, just anyone in general can connect with, you know, relative strangers on this experience. It kind of um, not trivializes the experience, but I feel like it kind of takes some of the power out of the hold mm. that it could have had on you. And I was thinking about this this morning, but kind of the fact that I really want there to be a message in academia that it's common for these things to happen, but it's not acceptable in a way as in like we shouldn't be if it's if it's because we're being put in certain situations or certain circumstances that are adding extra pressure that are causing these things to happen then that shouldn't just keep going like that that shouldn't be acceptable i i want it to be normalized that people experience these things but also normalized that that we can talk about it, that we can support each other through it, that we can suggest resources for each other that have worked for us or people that we know and sort of provide a a supportive framework in that way. And there was one other thing I wanted to say. 
Um, oh yeah. And just on the catastrophic thinking, a friend of mine um, and I, we have this kind of thing where whenever something kind of uh, triggers us and we go down this like negative thought spiral, it's like, this is going to happen. And then this is going to happen. And then we have this joke where it's like, and then homeless, because it honestly, it just like goes from like the smallest thing that happens, just like blows way out of proportion. So we kind of have this joke now to pick up when either of us are experiencing that line of thinking that we're like, oh yeah, and then homeless, you know, like it's, it's that's actually never going to happen. So it's just, again, kind of a way of taking the power out of this, mm-hmm. these negative thoughts that can be quite intrusive. So I guess, what did you decide to do at that point? So you, you said you sort of decided that you wanted to get some support yeah. for this. Could you explain kind of what track that took you down? Well, I decided I want to Actually, after the two years, then I got back to Italy and um, I started doing yoga uh, in a yoga studio. And I trusted the teacher really, really, really trust her. So one day I felt like, I don't know, just from the idea, it wasn't unplanned. I think it came spontaneously. I felt like, okay, that's time. And probably that's something related to yoga as well. that opens you more to accept feeling, embrace what happens, etc. So I asked her if she had some suggestions for the psychologist, a therapist, and she gave me the name of one. And then I started seeing her. And I think it was one of the best decisions <laughs> that I took. And actually, I wish I, I went to see her earlier. Because, you know, in Italy, I don't know if everywhere, but here is still, it's changing. But still, if you tell that you go to therapy, the reaction is, oh, poor you, or oh, you cannot handle that yourself. And the answer is no. <laughs> because again, it's like if we are, as you were saying before, you know, this catastrophic thinking is like if you alone, if you have this attitude somehow, or if we have this attitude, then alone you just go to a positive feedback and feed these thoughts, and you may need an external opinion which is also not the same that a good friend that can, can give you. Because, of course, as a friend, we can listen to each other, we can support each other, we can be present, and listening is probably the most important thing, but we all have our experiences, we all have our biases. So even if I can give what I think is the best advice to a friend of mine that is having issues, this is based on my experience so there's my bias on it where has an external a professional <laughs> has like it is like science i mean you can that's the same approach it's uh if you go to the doctor because you broke your leg uh if you have <laughs> issues related to the mind you have to see someone that is expert in in that field i think so so i started and then i went through kind of finding the causes of these panic attacks. I learned how to handle, I know, I learned how to accept as functional to something. And actually it really led me to, and it's still leading me to, to a very interesting journey of, I think, personal growth. That's something new that we can learn ourselves on ourselves every day. So yeah, that's the, the thing I did. And then I started feel more free to talk to some friends about uh, what I was having. But again, it's, uh, it's not so easy because in, in, in Italy, that's not so common, even though many people, because again, when you start saying things, oh, yes, I also go to therapy. It's like if someone starts talking and sharing, then you, it's like all the others pops out. So... And there is nothing bad. I mean, it's again, it's uh, you you break a bone, you go to, I mean, I went to a doctor because I thought I have, was having a heart attack. Mm-hmm. So the, probably the, the, the following consequence was to see someone to help me to understand what was going on in, in my mind. Yeah, I'm actually going to ask you in the next episode if you felt there were any sort of cultural barriers to, to going to therapy because I understand that Italy, you know, is a very community-driven and sort of family-driven 
society. So, so I think that's something that would be interesting to sort of touch on from your perspective. And yeah, I, I definitely felt a lot of shame when I first started seeing a therapist and I used to, I don't even, like, I was so embarrassed every time I had a psychiatrist appointment as well. And it would just like send me into these spirals for like days afterwards, because I was like, I can't believe this is happening to me. I can't believe I'm so unwell that I need to go and see this person and just so much shame. Whereas now it's so weird. Like I've forgotten what that feels like because I've accepted it and I've normalized it so much for myself now that like I don't even kind of really think about how someone's going to react when I tell them now that I go to therapy. I'm just like, yeah, it's just like a normal thing. I think everyone should go. Like it teaches you so much about yourself and about how to manage relationships, all different types of relationships in your personal and professional life. But I, yeah, I can, I, I can definitely relate to, to those feelings that, you know, you experienced early on as well. And I guess we'll talk more about some of the support that you've found for yourself in the next episode. But I guess t- two sort of final questions for this episode. What, what do you think you started to learn as you started to open up to sort of some of these like friends and colleagues and now that you are becoming a little bit more comfortable being sharing some of these experiences i think the the first thing or the the biggest is to that sometimes probably we fear the judgment of others because it's actually ourselves i don't know if it's it's correct in english but we are judging ourselves and that's why we fear that others will will judge so one thing is that if you start accepting yourself like keep your like compassion towards yourself the way you are is the way you are and then if you want to change something you can change if you want to improve you can improve any aspect in in your life so the moment really you start thinking that it's okay what you have it's 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 fine then you don't fear other people's reaction because then when you have you tell you, I got panic attacks, I go to therapy or whatever that you fear people will judge you and then people have the reaction you expected, then you don't care anymore. It's like, uh, it can be, if you tell, for example, I go to therapy to someone, it can be either a starting of a good conversation, like a sharing and knowing more about each other. Or if that person judges you and say, oh, but you're not able to handle things yourself, uh, you're not a good person, for example, then you don't care. It's like, okay, that's the kind of reaction that I don't like. I don't understand. So it won't affect it. So probably it's a process that you eventually learn to set boundaries and you become so centered on yourself that other people's reaction doesn't affect you or you decide who to listen and who to whose opinion you, you value. I'm not there yet, but I'm not on my way. <laughs> I feel like we're definitely on the same wavelength because I'm going to ask you an episode, a question in the next episode as well about how you decide who to open up to. <laughs> um, so just to tie up this episode, I guess you mentioned before recording that, you know, you potentially would do things differently if you sort of had your time over again. And that was in response to learning that I had taken some time off. So I guess what would you do differently, if anything? Probably I would not uh, focus on work as the, or let's say on work only as a um, reaction. So as I always say, it's like when you feel you're losing the control, then you go on the thing you can control. So your work was to me the easiest way to not thinking or try to at the beginning I was really identifying myself with the panic attacks so it's like I'm having this then I have this so I'm weak I'm not capable I'm not strong etc etc so I was really identifying the thing that happened to me with myself and then I kind of had to prove myself that I was capable I was strong etc etc so I basically focused on work until I think a point I needed to do something different. So probably I would start taking care of myself earlier, probably. 
but like taking break and trying to spend more time on like taking breaks, let's say, like not working seven days <laughs> a week, et cetera, et cetera, or extra hours, uh, waking up early, but uh, trying to find a more healthy routine, probably starting doing more yoga on a regular basis much earlier, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the thing that probably, but maybe it's all functional. So it had to go the way it went and then it led me to this process. So probably... It was the way it had to be. And in the end, I have to say that I always say that I'm really grateful for what happened, like those panic attacks, because it was the starting of a new process and uh, it hurted a lot and still does a bit. But um, it was a starting of something good. So it led to something very positive and more, it brought me much more consciousness. So I'm really happy that in the end that that happened so maybe um, happy is not the right word but <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean I know what you mean and I, yeah I mean I think that's a really hopeful note to kind of end this episode on <laughs> so I, yeah I do just want to thank you again we, we've really not discussed panic attacks on the podcast before and I think it's really important to sort of dive a bit deeper into sort of what that looks like and the impacts that that can have on someone. So I think that's been really helpful today. And um, I'm really looking forward to learning a little bit more in the next part too. Thank you. <laughs> so just a reminder, if listeners would like to get in touch with Viviana, she's available on Twitter at Beryl Nass, which is B-I-R-A-L-N-A-S, and also through her personal blog. And I'll put a link for both of those in the episode description. To you listening, thanks for listening close to the end. Stick around for details on how to share your own story, and I look forward to having you back in a couple of weeks to hear the next part of Viviana's story. Viviana will talk us through some of the support resources she's discovered. Bye for now. Before you go, we have some support resources and information for how you can share your own story. If this episode brought anything up for you, there are mental health resources and emergency numbers available for various countries at www.checkpointorg.com forward slash global. For information found in this episode, refer to the episode description or visit the podcast section of our website, www.voicesofacademia.com. There, you can also access the full transcript of this episode, made available by our lovely Voices of Academia team member, Daniel Ranson. This podcast was written, hosted, and produced by me, Emily, with support from some very special people in my life. You can find me on Twitter at eking underscore sci for science, but I'm part of the larger Voices of Academia team. We have a website, a Twitter account, at Academic Voices, and also share stories in blog form, with the option of them being anonymous. If you like this podcast and want to hear more stories, please leave a review, subscribe, tell me what you think on Twitter, and tell your friends. The podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major listening platforms. You can also follow the Voices of Academia blog and receive notifications of new posts by email. Just head to our website, www.voicesofacademia.com to sign up. If you have a mental health or wellness story to share, we absolutely want to hear from you. Whether you're a team leader, research assistant, postdoc, student, ex-academic, or any other type of researcher, Follow at Academic Voices on Twitter, visit the link in the episode description, or visit our website www.voicesofacademia.com for details on how to share your story. It's time someone gave you a voice. <laughs>